advantage of the day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holters with you, voice of the Chiefs, along with the man we call the shop, the barbershop, the Spider-Man. Great career in the National Football League, even a better career uh, as a leader in our community, uh, Sean Barber. And Matt Stan himself, Matt McMullen, senior team reporter. And here we go, bringing out our Salute to Service hoodies, because people think Salute to Service is just a game. Not with the Chiefs. The cool thing is about this is a 365-day, 12-month uh, approach by the Kansas City Chiefs. So we love it and appreciate all those who have served and are serving. Always. And obviously, dear to my heart is my own father who served. Um, any chance to, to give uh, old Smoke Barber a little recognition on this show, man, I, I definitely take advantage of it. Uh, he was a leader in, in our household, but also a leader in our community. And he showed me how to be a, a, a man in, in many different ways. So I try to replicate that in how I raise my own kids, how I coach my kids' team. And then, uh, obviously, like you said, as, as being the president of our ambassador group, um, kind of what I see myself as a leadership role when it comes to being that uh, with our ambassadors. You've made Smoke proud. Yes, Let's sir. Let's just do that. Yes, sir. And, Matt, it's great. I mean, we talk about it, write about it, but it's it's something we do all year long, not just one week for Salute to Service. Yeah, it's a great way that the NFL uses its platform to – uh, thank all of those that make what we do a reality, right? And if it wasn't for those that put their lives on the line every single day for millions of people that they'll never meet, we wouldn't get to talk about football for a living. So um, it's not just one month. That's why we're wearing this in December. Of course, November is Salute to Service Month in the NFL, but uh, we're rocking this year in December to show that we're doing it all year long. And you talked about your dad, my dad also, a military veteran, uh, anti-aircraft officer in Alaska during some tense times uh, when he got his commission. And uh, 90th birthday. L. Dean. This week, L. Dean, man. Jiffy awesome. Burgers and L. Dean. <laughs> It'll get no bigger than Jiffy Burgers yeah. all around. All around for L. Dean. Yep, the kids at the school at Smith Center sang him happy birthday. It was a uh, very touching moment for his 90th birthday. And, yes, appreciate Dad's service. All right, this edition of Defending the Kingdom is Go There. Don't go there. We're going to talk about make it, take it, and uh, and break it. Uh, but anyway, well, let's go around the world before we do all that talk about Bronco Week. Yeah, a defending the kingdom tradition, as always. So I have nine today in honor of Juju Smith-Schuster. All right. Who will hopefully have a big game here against the Broncos. So we have Scott from Butte, Montana, a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. You guys have ever been there. Uh, Julius from Norway. We're really establishing a foothold in Scandinavia. Which Huge. is exciting. Yep. Um, so shout out to Julius. And if we play in Germany next year, they can come on down from Scandinavia. Let's fill that place. That's what I'm saying. When yeah. we play. When we when play. When we play. We've got uh, Larry. He's defending the kingdom uh, in the heart of Steeler country in Bakerton, Pennsylvania. Where's Bakerton, Pennsylvania? Small? I'll look it up. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere in Pennsylvania. Near Shingle House? Well, you know what? We also have Troy on here. He's actually the very next one. Troy in Shingle House, Pennsylvania. He's a longtime <laughs> listener. Uh, so shout out to Troy. <laughs> Now we oh, have we have only on defending the kingdom. We're gonna go about eight thousand miles the other way now. We have Irwin in the city of Croenen, Netherlands. I even practiced upstairs, and I'm pretty sure I butchered that. But he's in the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, he declared it kingdom on the North Sea. I'm still kind of salty against the Netherlands because of the soccer stuff. So. Yeah, just yeah. You know, get yeah. past it, man. Yeah. Get past it. Go on, uh, go on with your life. We're all one kingdom here, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we've got Greg in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Elizabeth in Parowan, Utah. Uh, she'll be at the Chiefs-Raiders game in Vegas uh, in Week 18. Uh, we have a listener in Polo, Missouri. 
Uh, and Dylan is listening from Okinawa, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, games are on on Mondays at 3 a.m., 6 a.m., and 9 a.m., but he always finds a way. So that's our around the world. I also have uh, some plugs here that we need to talk about briefly. So there's a few different things going on. There's Pro Bowl voting going on, which I know we don't really care about the Pro Bowl. We're going to be in the Super Bowl, but still it's important to the guys. Yes, sir. Recognition for their career, right? You know right? what it's like in that locker hey, room when they announce that Pro Bowl team? Yeah, so in order to vote for the Chiefs, all you have to do is go on Twitter, use hashtag Pro Bowl vote, and then just tag the player or write their first and last name. So hashtag Pro Bowl vote, then like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so there's that. There's also a fan ballot online on the NFL's website. And then there's also the Walter Payton Man of the Year Challenge going on, yes. which is a social media challenge, and it's like a fan vote, basically. It's different than the actual Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. What this is is if you win this fan vote, you get a whole bunch of money towards your foundation. So uh. this is an opportunity for Chiefs fans to make their voices heard uh, and pour a bunch of money into our city. So to do that, use hashtag WP. M-O-Y, challenge, and then just tag Patrick Mahomes. Or just write his name, Patrick Mahomes. But hashtag W-P-M-O-Y, challenge, and then Patrick Mahomes. And you will do your part to help uh, get these funds to Kansas City. Glad you mentioned that last night because we had an emotional. Glad you mentioned it today. Last night, uh, as we are uh, taping this, was a very emotional night. It was the 15 in Mahomes' um, big gala. It was phenomenal. The... 24 different organizations that that work with children uh, in the Chiefs Kingdom were represented on the stage at one time. And as I mentioned, in emceeing the event, Patrick Mahomes has compiled stats. He's number one in NFL history in first 75 starts in all of the major metrics. You look at attempts, completions, uh, touchdown INT ratio, on and on and on. But he's also number one in wins. So you can get stats but not win. You can get wins but not stats. He has all of that. But his heart is amazing. We have a special, special guy quarterbacking this team, and it's not just the wins and stats. If you get a chance to go on social media and take a look at that stage at the end of that event, you'll know why you want to make sure that he gets uh, the social media side of the NFL Man of the Year. Uh, There's a lot of pride in that award, too, here. The Chiefs have had more Walter Payton Man of the Year and the uh, NFL Man of the Year than any other franchise. But if Patrick gets it, just think of all those kids and 24 different organizations on that stage. Yeah, it's just another way of kind of wrapping up and summarizing when we talk about Midwest values and why certain guys really fit in the Chiefs kingdom. And what makes a guy in this, you know, hey, my heydays after I'm finished playing, come back and want to raise my kids here in Kansas City. Um, to see current players um, kind of living it out in our community as far as the donation money and the um, amount of activity they do to help our community. It's, just, it's an amazing award and achievement. And I think if we can do that as a fan base to bring some awareness to the Walter Payton Man of the Year Challenge to get that, that influx of money into the uh, 15 Mahomes, I mean, we should definitely go do it. You think about what a great player he is, right? He's the best player in the National Football League, in our opinion. We think he's the MVP of the NFL. That's awesome. But even more important than that, is as busy as he is, yes. he still finds time and makes time for so many people in need. And he uses his platform to help other people. And that's, in the end, what it's all about. And it's just, it's so awesome, and we're so lucky that we have a player who is not only such an amazing player and leader on the field, he also cares. And we see that with everything that he does, and that's why I think he's so deserving uh, of being the Walter Payton Man of the Year this year. And I don't care if you're from Oslo, Norway, or if you're from Okinawa, try to find the photo uh, on social media, you can go to the 15 in Mahomes Twitter page and find it the moment 
that those kids, those organizations, 24 of them represented all on the stage at one time, it is phenomenal. Okay, let's jump into Bronco Week here. The football side of this, go there, don't go there. Now, I said make it, take it. I really meant keep it. So make it, take it, and keep it. You ever play, play make it and take it in basketball? Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? You make it, you keep the ball. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. don't stop, if I don't stop you, I don't ever get the ball. I just sit there and play That's defense. how it happens most time with me, just to be, be honest. Like. Well, I knew that because we have these games at camp. This is the sneaky one at training camp. <laughs> he came you. flying in to block a shot. I'm like, who is that cat? But anyway. <laughs> I, uh, make, I make up for my lack of talent with, uh, you know, heart and energy. You know, my mom was a college basketball player. My dad was not. And I got the dad jeans, unfortunately. Yeah. How'd your sister do? Did she get the mom jeans? No, not really. No. Yeah, well, mom's. Yeah, okay. I know. Bonnie, good try. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's make it, take it, keep it. And the make it is make history. Yes. Uh, take the division and keep the streak going. Let's just talk about that against the Broncos. Take this in specific. And that is make history. The Chiefs in several ways can make history this week, especially Travis Kelsey. One yard away, he'll be the all-time tight end in yards after catch. 26 yards away, 10,000 receiving yards. Only five tight ends have ever done it. He'll be the fastest fastest to do it by 40 games. Think about that, about three seasons almost. Um, and then you look at the history. The Chiefs can win a 14th consecutive time over the Broncos. That would be the fourth longest streak in the history of the National Football League by one team over a single opponent. So let's talk first about making history here and why the Chiefs need to be, like, zeroed in on the Broncos. Well, I would love to maybe challenge our listeners to uh, take a moment and, and reach out to me on Twitter or on social media and tell me who do you think the best tight end of all time is. Is it Tony Gonzalez? Is it Travis Kelsey? That, that, that's the debate around every water cooler, every discussion between ex-players that's been in the locker room with Tony Gonzalez. Uh, whether it's Jason Dunn, Billy Baber, uh, no matter who I'm talking to. Oh, man, each, those guys. Each, and, it, it, and I love those guys. <laughs> all right? Be- Billy Baber, I love you. It's JD, a heated, it's I a love heated you. conversation. I love oh! It's a heated heat. conversation. Um, and if you want to get a part of that conversation, yeah, reach out to me on, on social media and give me your feedback. Let me know why do you think it's Tony Gonzalez. Why do you think it's Travis Kelsey? And support it with some statements, some facts. Um, and, and let's bring that to life because, honestly, in my mind, I've played – against Tony Gonzalez, and I practice against him, and I know exactly why I feel like he's maybe the best tight end to ever play the game. But what I'm witnessing right now is, is like history in the making. It's history in the making. Uh, three touchdowns twice in one year. Uh, like you're saying, one yard away from being the all-time uh, highest in, re- in rece- receiving yards. Um, I- I'm seeing it in the making, and it's hard for me to uh, uh, stick my loyalties to, to, to TG even though I was a former teammate of his and I played with him and I practiced against him, I'm seeing Travis do some things that are uh, legendary. I don't want it to come across I'm being disloyal to Tony, <laughs> but T. Kels, Kelsey blows away everybody else that's in this discussion, and it's not even close in my opinion. He's, he's 32 yards away from seven straight 1,000-yard yes. receiving seasons. People think he's just, oh, he's a wide receiver playing tight end. Whoa, 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 whoa. The yards after catch stat to me yes. is the tiebreaker. Because yards after catch usually is, and you know this, Matt, it goes to a running back. I throw to you at two yards, you run for 12, that's 10 yak yards. I throw to you in the air, 25 yards, you catch it, shop tackles me, that's only 20, I mean, that's zero yak yards. So for a tight end to get yak yards and have all of the other receiving yards, to me is the tiebreaker with Kels. Because 
All the stats, Shannon Sharp, love T-Gons, don't take this wrong, Billy Baber, right? <laughs> Billy, we're still trying to get your papers to see if you belong on the planet. I'm just saying, he's, he's an alien, dude. Billy Baber's an alien. Uh, but T-Kels is the best that's ever done it. Sorry. Well, so first of all, it's, it's a good problem to have for Chiefs fans, right? Oh like we're arguing between the two greatest titans of Kind of a first of world problem. Yeah, they both like, Chiefs. They both <laughs> played for the Chiefs like in this millennium. Like yes. we watch them all play. Yes. Uh, it's amazing, but... Man, what Kelsey's doing right now is just so unbelievable. And I'd say this every time we talk about him. We cannot normalize what Travis Kelsey is doing. Because if you've been watching the Chiefs the last several years, you're pretty used to it. Like, oh, yeah, Travis Kelsey just, you know, has 100 yards, two touchdowns, no big deal. Uh, putting corners who are half his age on skates like it's no, not hard at all. I mean, it's just amazing what he does, and we cannot normalize it. And he's just such a leader as well. He's just such a great guy. Like, one thing that stood out to me when – we lost to the Colts earlier this year, and he did the same thing after the Bengals loss. But after the Colts earlier this year, uh, tough game, right? And he had a catch in the end zone that he almost had. Very difficult play. Yeah, I don't remember that. Uh, and I don't think anyone after that game was blaming Travis Kelsey for the loss, you know. But he went on Twitter. He's like, Chiefs Kingdom, that's on me. Like, that won't happen again. And it's like, man, <laughs> I don't think anyone's blaming you. But he still puts it on himself. And that's why he's such a great player. You know, he holds himself to such a high standard. Uh, I know he's feeling that way after the fumble last week, but that was his first fumble, not just lost fumble, his first fumble in 22 games. Yep. Don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So a uh, heck of a player, heck of a leader. Uh, I think one day when uh, he's being in introduced in Canton, we're going to think about it and be like, man, we watched the Travis Kelsey era yes, in Kansas sir. City. Pretty cool. Yeah, he was on Chiefs Kingdom show Monday night on the Chiefs Radio Network, and he First of all, I admired that he came there. You know this as a player. You have that moment like he had at the fumble against the Bengals, and you're like, man, I just want to give me about 48 hours. I don't want to see nobody or do nothing. Yeah, yeah. And he came in front of about 200 fans. It was, it's just the way he is. Um, the other thing I'll mention as we uh, look at making history here, Patrick Mahomes, who had his streak broken of his 26 straight wins in November, December, he wins this game against the Broncos. He'll be 15-0 and on the road against the AFC West, eclipsed only by Joe Montana, who had 20 straight road division wins. That's it. So another piece of making history here. But let's go next in our make it and take it, and that is to take the division. Got to. You can do it this week. It goes back to what are we waiting for about three weeks ago. Take the division shot. I mean, before every season, it's a, it's a clear uh, laundry list of things to do each season. And I think uh, Coach Andy Reid makes it very clear to the team, the entire organization, um, what do we have to do in order to win our division? That's the first and foremost thing. you got to win at home, you win in your division, and then you handle you know, the regular season and playoffs. Uh, have a chance to do 14, 14 in a row against this team um, to win another division. That's crazy. Here under uh, Coach crazy. Andy Reid. It, it, the opportunity that's in front of the team is to do something that hasn't been done in a very long time. And we talk about in the history of the NFL, not just as a Chiefs organization, but in the entire history of the NFL. And I think the opportunity is right before us. I think the team coming off of a loss to the Bengals is in perfect position to take care of business, not only against the Broncos, but for this uh, five-game stretch to get us prepared for the playoffs. And there's nobody in a, in a better frame of mind to, to get our team ready to play than I think one uh, Coach Andy Reid. And if the Chiefs pull this off, you'll know when you put your head on a pillow Sunday night if the Chiefs have this done. Now, the Chargers have to lose. Uh, that's going to be on Sunday night football, so we'll be flying back from Denver. But the Chiefs win, Chargers lose seven straight AFC West Division titles. Amazing. To your point, Shop, that's second, second in National Football League history, only behind New England's dominance uh, in the 2000s in the AFC East. 
So make it, make history here for the Chiefs against the Broncos. Take it, take the division, Matt. So I was an intern with the Chiefs back in 2016, which was when the streak began. And I've been a Chiefs fan my whole life, right? So I thought it was so cool that I got a hat that said we were AFC West champions <laughs> for free, and I could wear it, you know? And I had that hat, and even when I left the Chiefs briefly, um, I took the hat with me to Minnesota when I lived up there. And then I moved back here when I got the full-time job with the Chiefs, and we won the division again. And that was a really big deal at the time because it was the first time in franchise history that we won consecutive division titles. Yes. It was a big deal, and we were very proud of it. Every single year since then, I've gotten a hat at the end of the year that says we're AFC West champions. And, again, we cannot take this for granted because it is just crazy what yeah. the Chiefs have been able to do over the last seven seasons, winning this division over and over again. And it's funny because last year, you and I would talk privately about how Last year's division championship was maybe the sweetest because we start three and four. Everyone else is gunning for us. Everyone's saying the Chiefs are not going to make the playoffs, and we still won the division, right? And I was like, that was the sweetest. Well, then this past offseason, I think we were having the same conversation. It's like everyone is loading up. It's the AFC West arms race. This one might be the sweetest when we pull it off because we knew we were going to. And what do you know? We're right here in early December with an opportunity to win a seventh consecutive division title the media wants to talk about every other team. That's fine. The Chiefs are just getting better in the offseason and positioning themselves to win yet again in a league that is built on parity. Yes. And it's just an amazing thing, and we can't take it for granted because this is the golden era of Chiefs football. It's very hard to win a division title. Seven division titles is next to impossible, and it's right there for the Chiefs. You can be in Polo, Missouri. You can be against Poland. Go find a search engine and look what was being said throughout the summer. And it's bingo, and bingo check on the first box is winning your division. Check with all the other 31 teams in the National Football League. So first is go there. Make it, take it, keep it, right? Make history, take the division, and keep the streak going. But now it's going to be don't go there. And where I'm going with that is don't think this is going to be an easy game. This is a very interesting study, the 2022 Denver Broncos. And shop. I've only been in this league 29 years, but I'm seeing things here I've never seen before. The Broncos are 3-9, and nine, but they've lost six games of their nine to opponents who have scored less than 20 points and won the game. So this defense the Chiefs will play this week is a playoff caliber defense. Oh, no doubt. And, and it starts um, on the back end, right? Uh, Pasquantane Jr. is one of the top corners in the league this year. Mm. His coverability, his um, maneuverability, the way he – goes in and out of um, transcending his footwork and his pattern work with actually making plays on the ball. Um, and then you, you pair him up with the safety like Simmons. Um, those two guys are just um, a, a playing at a, at a very high level. And there's so much confidence that's being um, just, just, just going from the from back end forward and allowing those guys to play way beyond their years. Um, the linebackers are playing well downhill. The, 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 the D-line is filling their gaps. There's, a, there's an amount of trust that you can tell when you cut on the film because the guys are their alignment, their assignment, their accountability for one another, the, the communication, the trust, it's all there. And what I've, you know, even, even off air, I kind of told y'all, this team seems to be a divided team when you talk about the Denver Broncos, whereas their defense has kind of disassociated themselves with the rest of the organization. Yeah, you might think the head coach is, you know, not the greatest of time development or time management. You might think Russell Wilson is dealing with whatever issues because he doesn't have the wide receivers he usually has. The running backs, you know, uh, Williams got hurt and Melvin Gordon is now here. So 
on every level of their offense, there's dysfunction. The one area of their team where there's no dysfunction is that defense. Mm. They are hunting like a unit. They're going out there as a pack, and they've kind of un, 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 unhitched themselves to the Denver Broncos train. That whole uh, less ride and everything that, that um, uh, Russell Wilson was doing, the defense has kind of disassociated themselves with everything that Russell is doing. And you can tell because even there's times – when there's a flare-ups on the sideline, the defensive guys are going after him a little bit about what are you doing with the ball? Why are you turning over in this situation? We got, we got something we're trying to accomplish on the defense side of the ball, and you're not a part of it right now. I have all the respect in the world the way this defense is going out there and handling their business. They're not worried about anything the offense is doing. What they're doing is going out there and really taking care of, hey, we're the number one against um, points allowed in the league. And they plan on finishing that way no matter how many first downs their offense gives up, no matter how many points their offense scores. They have a job to do, and they intend on doing it at a very high level no matter what happens on the other side of the ball. Matt, they've only allowed nine touchdowns in 24 or 28 red zone trips, okay? They are number one, the Denver Broncos defense, in forcing three and outs. That does not translate to three wins and nine losses. Yeah, it's very perplexing. They're just a weird it study. It's a and, weird team, man. I mean, they're three and nine. They're one and eight in their last nine games, but ten of their twelve games this season have been decided by one score, and seven of those they've lost. So they've been in almost every game. And why are they in almost every game? Well, you guys are right. It's their defense, and it sets up a really interesting contrast between their defense and the Chiefs' offense because. In all these categories that they're top five, if not number one, the Chiefs are top five offensively, if not number one. So they're the number two scoring defense in the league, allowing just 17 points per game. Well, the Chiefs are the number one scoring offense in the league. They've allowed the fewest touchdowns in the NFL, only 17. The Chiefs have the second most total touchdowns. They've held the opposition under 20 points in nine games this season. Uh, but the Chiefs, meanwhile, have scored at least 20 in all but one game. Red zone is where I think this game is really going to be won, yep. though. Uh, the Broncos' red zone defense is number one in the NFL in terms of disallowing touchdowns, uh, and they've also allowed the second-fewest red zone drives of any team. Conversely, uh, the Chiefs have the most red zone drives of any team and the fifth-highest conversion rate in, in terms of scoring touchdowns. So a whole bunch of areas where the Broncos are really good defensively. The Chiefs are also very good offensively. Something has to give in this game. You mentioned the red zone defense. We talked about it. Um, Second place is a long way away. For example, the touchdown percentage by Bronco opponents against that defense in the red zone is 32%. Mentioned 9 out of 28. The Rams are second at 43%. This is a dominant team in the red zone, the Broncos defensively. I'm going to ask you this question, then we're going to flip over to the Broncos offense to close. As a defensive player, you played in the league over 10 years. When the defense takes an – it's like you're taking in water and you got the shop vac out and you're cleaning out the, uh, the basement only to have it fill with water again. <laughs> how, do you, how do you handle that as a defensive player in this league? I think that the way this defense was put together and some of the leaders they have on that – we, we, we talked about Simmons, we talked about um, um, Pastor Tane Jr. I think those guys, those leaders on defense, have looked each other in the eyes and said, things aren't changing. No one is coming to help us. No one is coming to save us. There is no life preserver. Right? There's no use sending no SOS signals. This offense is broken. So what we can do is succumb to that and start giving up a bunch of points, or we can set our, our internal goals, our internal GPS on what makes us great. 
and they're going to stick true to exactly what they do. A lot of man coverage, sticky in the zone. Their zones become man. They get real sticky, real handsy, um, and they challenge you on every play. There is not a yard that's being given, not an inch. Not, 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 forget the yardage. They don't give you an inch, um, and they're great tacklers. So from an offensive-defensive standpoint, uh, it's going to be a real challenge. And I would love, as a defensive person, to be a part of a defense where all 11 guys are sold in on the, the concept of we're not giving up a single inch on this field. No matter what the scenario, no matter what the down and distance, we make them earn every inch of yardage um, um, on, on this game day. And I think that that's a, a, a mantra that's gone throughout their uh, defensive ranks, and every one of 11 guys are playing just like that. It's interesting. So instead of fracturing the defense, it's, it's actually galvanized. It's, yes, them. right. It's brought them uh, closer together. Really interesting. Let's go to the offensive side of the ball because this is where they're 3-9. and nine. Russell Wilson, it's the worst year of his career by far. If you look at his completion percentage, it's the worst of his career by far. Uh, his quarterback rating is 29th in the league. There are 33 guys that have qualified in quarterback rating. Three of the four that are behind him are no longer starters. Let me just give you the two behind him, Baker Mayfield and Zach Wilson. That gives you an idea. The only guy that's behind him is Pickett, the rookie out of Pittsburgh. Russell Wilson, and yes, and I shop alluded to it, they're, they're missing three offensive linemen as I look at my boards. They're missing Javante Williams, two top wide receivers. But still, still, this has just been a brutal year for Russell Wilson. It's just been a snowball effect of, I think, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong uh, offensively for them this year, and it's from week one, and it just hasn't gotten any better as the season has gone on. And to be fair, they have had a ton of injuries uh, on offense, but still their scheme and the talent that they have is impressive enough that they should be better than they are, and it just hasn't worked out that way. And I think it was fair to assume uh, when Russell Wilson first went to Denver that maybe there's going to be some growing pains and some hiccups, but eventually you have to move past those, and they just haven't as a team. I mean, it's the number 32 scoring offense in the NFL, uh, averaging 13.8 points per game. They're 30th and third down conversion rate. They've punted more than any other team, and this one stands out to me. They've been penalized more than any other team in the league. So it's more than just the scheme isn't working. They're undisciplined. Yeah, I mean, to have the most penalties in the NFL, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing you can control at the end of the day, and um, that's hurt them in the long run. They have the fewest red zone drives in the NFL with only 24. Uh, and when they do get there, they're second to last in red zone scoring. Uh, they're scoring touchdowns at just a 37.5% clip. Uh, and Wilson has been under pressure a lot this year. He's been sacked at least twice in every game this season uh, and three or more times in all but two games. So they've got talent on this offense. they got Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. And, yeah, they've had a lot of injuries. But still, when you look at this roster on paper, you think they should be better than they are. And just for a multitude of reasons, uh, it just hasn't worked this year for them. But why are they dangerous? They have led at halftime five times. Close games. Three and nine, they've led at halftime five times. Doesn't make sense. This is a danger. So go there, don't go there. I'll give you another one in shop. We'll get one final comment here as we wrap it up. Greg Dulcich, to me, might be the most dangerous player the Broncos have in this game. Yeah. He's an athletic tight end. He's got some Kelsey in him. He's a rookie out of UCLA. He missed the first five games of the year. His first game back, whammo, 39-yard touchdown against the Chargers. They move him around. They try to get him in matchups. He's a guy that can give them big plays. He's got that ability. Well, what I would say is overall, when you talk about the struggles of defense, I mean, the offense is having with Russell Wilson getting on the same page. And when you have different pieces and you have to communicate as a quarterback 
you have to have some level of trust that what you're communicating is getting accepted, whether it's the offensive line blocking, whether it's the receivers adjusting their routes. Early on in the year, there was a the play that comes to mind where I see Russell Wilson giving a signal. He's giving a smash signal to the wide receiver. He wants uh, Cortland Sutton to run a smash route. The outside guy runs a stop. Instead of running a seven, he curls up. Mm-hmm. And Russell throws the seven. It almost gets intercepted. Well, for the rest of the game, he could never trust to throw it on schedule. So every throw throughout the rest of that game became an off-schedule throw. If you don't have the communication level of the trust between your receivers knowing what routes to run, then you can't run a two-minute offense. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, you, any, all your audibles become – you're looking at him like, do you really know what I'm – I'm going to throw this, and are you really ready to run the right route? Any kind of adjustments, any kind of pressure that you put on their receivers and those routes as they're developing, you can almost see the unsureness, the, the inability, to, the, the lack of confidence between the quarterback and the receivers. Do we really know – are we on the same page? And that is the most infuriating thing to have as a head coach or offensive coordinator because you now what do you call? You, you, it's, it's, it's a lose-lose situation no matter what you do. And, and that's the frustrating, I think, that's going um, this, this throughout this Broncos offense. And it's no, there's no answer for that. There's no quick answer. But like you said, um, the tight end and him can get on, a, on, a, on, a, on the same page. And if they can find a connection and, and, and create some momentum, they, they've led games in the halftime. And now in the second half, if you leave them close and give them a chance to win, um, that could be dangerous. Yep, and again, you t- I can script those plays. I can script the first 15. I can review them. I can review them Saturday in the meetings. I can do that and then play 16 to 60. That's what comes into play. It's no more script. You better have this thing down. Your thoughts finally on this game. Well, really, this Broncos squad just shows the margin for error in the NFL, how slim it is. Because if you've watched a lot of the Broncos games this season, and they've been in primetime quite a bit, I think about their game against the Colts, for example. They nearly won that game. We were watching in Cincinnati before our game. They almost beat the Ravens. So I know the Ravens were playing with their backup quarterback, but still they almost won that game, and that's all that matters in the end is the wins. So it shows how slim the margin for error is when they've played in all these close games, and in the end they just can't come through. It's important for the Chiefs to enter this game knowing it's going to be a fight, and these divisional games always are. You throw out the records and the stats and all of that. I mean, think about last year against the Broncos at Mile High, a very close game when Drew Locke was their quarterback, and they almost won that game. So uh, it's going to be a fight no matter what the Broncos' record is and the struggles that they've faced this year. Uh, But I think the Chiefs, for them, it's an opportunity to get back on track, to be feeling really good uh, again after a tough loss to the Bengals. And just got to go in and play your game, play mistake-free football, go out there and execute, and they'll be okay. But uh, it's going to be a battle, I think, uh, on Sunday. And uh, this Broncos squad, it hasn't been their year, but uh, they're fighting to show that they there's still a reason for them to be playing, right? They're playing for pride. They're playing for themselves. And uh, it's going to be a battle on Sunday. Chiefs just need to be ready. The slimmest margin of victory throughout the entire NFL this season since 1932. Every game, it seems like it's just a knockdown, drag out, slimmest of margins. So, go there. Go to Denver. Make it, take it, keep it. Make history, take the division, and keep the streak alive. But don't go there, Kingdom, if you think this is going to be easy. Lock your jaw and get it done. Touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration! 